This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. My guests this week are Emily Joy and Hannah Posh. Um, this is the first conversation that I'm really publishing essentially live to tape. Um, we just spoke this evening, and I am not really going to do uh, really any editing to the show um, because this is such a lively topic and because there was an opening in the schedule, um, but also I really do want to get this out there so that it can be something that uh, that people can hear relative to the church to uh, hashtag that's been trending over Twitter lately. Um, it's also been covered extensively within the media. Um, you, there have been articles posted in Vox and Teen Vogue and Time and other outlets um, talking and covering what the conversation that, that they began um, on Twitter and where it's gone since then. Um, so we talk a lot about uh, a, a whole number of things relative to the underlying theology of purity culture and rape culture and how that ties into um, assault and abuse within the church. Um, and it's a very uh, wide-spanning conversation, but I wanted to get it out to you as soon as I can. So really, we, we talked as, as soon as we were able, and I'm very thankful to have them back. Uh, Emily and Hannah actually joined me on the show early in the show on episode 10, in which we talked a lot about their uh, previous experiences within purity culture and the work um, that they've been doing, writing and talking about that for a long time. Um, yeah, let's really get into it here. Uh, you can, but before we do that, please follow both Hannah and Emily over on Twitter. Um, you can follow Emily on Twitter at Emily Joy Poetry and Hannah over at Hannah Posh. I'm going to have the have their usernames right in the show notes so you can just click on the link or, or copy and paste it however your uh, podcast app works. But um, please follow them over there. They are uh, continually talking about this sort of topic um, as well as everything else that that you're able to hear about when you follow someone on Twitter. Um, more importantly, um, perhaps they they also are available for speaking uh, and for other so if if you or your church or your organization wants to have them come and talk um, to to your group about these topics, contact them um, because they are uh, they are wanting to have these conversations and wanting to continue them. If you support, if you want to support this show, you can do so by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes, and you can also support the show at Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. You can follow me on Twitter at brchastain. You can follow the show on Twitter at exvangelicalpod. You can also search on Facebook for the Exvangelical Closed Group, um, it has over 1,400 members right now, which is totally insane. Um, but I'm very happy that, that it continues to uh, grow and be a place of lively discussions about people that uh, have left evangelicalism and are just really examining 
what where things came from. Part of that does include the sorts of difficult conversations like this, like the one that you'll hear now um, with Emily and Hannah. Let's get into it. Everybody, welcome back to Exvangelical. I have with me today Hannah Posh. Hi. And uh, Emily Joy. <laughs> hey, what's up? Glad we could find. Glad we could uh, we could uh, um, reconnect and talk about what you've been up to since we last talked. I spoke to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I spoke to you uh, last year, um, very early in the show. It was like I think episode ten. Um, so very early in the show, and we talked a lot about sort of your backgrounds and at at the time and still to this day, you talk a lot about um, purity culture and things like that. Uh, but you've also started this new hashtag. Uh, church two that we're going to talk about in detail. Uh, But first, before we really get into that, um, if we could just sort of, for the listener, um, establish your evangelical pedigree, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm doing that every every day on the internet now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Retweeting myself. Um, But no, that's totally fine. Um, For those of you who maybe hadn't heard the previous episode that we were on. Uh, My name is Hannah Posh. I grew up as a missionary kid, pastor's kid, um, and later uh, went, became a missionary myself, went to seminary, dropped out of seminary, um, and was really raised within the non-denominational evangelical megachurch system. So um, that's that's actually where Emily and I met. We met at Moody Bible Institute. I was attending Moody Theological Seminary, and Emily was coming into Moody Bible Institute, and um, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, my dad was a Southern Baptist youth pastor when I was born. Uh, over time, he started his own uh, stateside missionary ministry. So I've been in just about every kind of church, uh, Protestant church that you can possibly imagine. Uh, Then I uh, went to Moody Bible Institute. I have a piece of paper on my wall from Moody Bible Institute saying that I am certified for Christian ministry. Uh, (laughs) You're living that uh, out for sure. I'm living it out. Hashtag little did they know. I do my poetry. I do my yoga. I teach Sunday school. I do all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of people in the last couple of weeks who have, um, been like, well, these are just, uh, unbelievers. And I'm like, listen, friend, here's all the things. Um, so those are, those are the things. Friend, I'm sure I have more books of the Bible memorized than you. Okay. Hannah, you have more books of the Bible memorized than anyone. Let's be real. Yeah, it's real. It's real. It doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, uh, again, certainly check out the earlier episode, but uh, a lot of times, you know, that, um, that preface is, is really for people that automatically question you because obviously yeah. you're doing mm-hmm. some, a few very, of those. yeah, you're doing some very, several in fact, <laughs> that's right. And we're going to get into that, too. We're, uh, actually, if you want, we can start there. But I feel like we need sure. to um, let's let's also I mean, Church 2 has been covered um, across the Internet and a number of different news sites. And when I when I refer to Church 2, what I mean is the hashtag that um, that Emily and, and Hannah started that addresses 
sexual assault and abuse within churches. Um, mm. And actually, before we, before we sort of get into the negative reaction to this, um, if you if you could explain how this started um, and then what what the intent behind this campaign is, because um, I, bl- I believe it was sort of it was this from from what I remember it was Emily, you shared a very vulnerable story, and then Hannah, you also. You also brought that into your own timeline and and brought it into that sort of uh, perspective as well. But I I just loved it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so all of the things have been happening right with Hollywood and um with Washington and all of these powerful men have been um sort of being a you know brought down a little bit by by all of these accusations and um you know, I've kind of been sitting on my own story of, of what happened to me in the church for, for a long time and, and trying to figure out like, you know, we all have that like mental filing cabinet. Right. And I've always been trying to figure out like what, what filing cabinet does this, does this story go in? Um, Am I in a treasure chest? Yeah. (laughs) And so it's like, it's like, what do you do with this? And, and so there was one day a couple weeks ago where um, there was something like three other men in Hollywood throughout the day on Twitter had been accused and I kind of just like got tired of it. And so, um, I think it was on our group text and I was like, mm-hmm. uh, should I like out my abuser? Um, and you know, it, it, it was a story I'd been wanting to tell for a really long time, but just, you know, again, not really sure. Um, what category to put it in. And so, um, and it, it's so funny because it's like, I was literally, so that was, it was on like a Monday night. And the next day I was like leaving at like eight in the morning to go on an overnight trip with my husband um, to, to go and like celebrate our four year anniversary. And so I was really trying to just like, just get stuff over with. I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to like go on this trip and like totally check out and be with my husband and like go to Asheville and like, have a beer and like be really chill and be really, and then this thing happened. Right. So that night, so that night I was, I told my story and I, I tweeted all those things. And, um, after I tweeted this whole thread of stuff, you know, kind of telling my story and, and I included like specific names. I named my abuser, I named the church. Um, and other people started coming forward. Um, there was a couple other women who started saying like, Hey, something like this happened to me. Here's my story. This is what happened you know, et cetera. And so, um, Hannah texted me and she was like, I think that we need to like have some way to talk about this with people. And so we went back and forth and we were like, well, what about a hashtag? Um, and we kind of spitballed some things back and forth and, um, and ultimately settled on church too, which obviously played us off of, um, me too, which is the movement that was started a decade ago by Tarana Burke and then recently put into the media by Alyssa Milano. And then it just kind of went viral and everybody was telling their me, their me too stories and all this stuff. And I was like, well, if we do church too, people are automatically going to know, like, that's what we're talking about. Right. There's that like memory recall. So I was like, why don't you just, why don't you just tweet out her uh, church too? And I'm going to go to bed and then get up in the morning and go to Asheville. Um, and you know, just, just do what, what you will with it, but just give it a shot. Um, and, and so in that sense, I mean, number one, like in that sense, we're totally like indebted to like 
Tarana Burke to Alyssa Milano to everybody who has shared their stories on the Me Too tag, you know, like all of the women that have come forward to make us all brave. Um, but, Hmm. but I kind of, I kind of on the church two tag on the, on that, I was like, you know, it'll be like tomorrow morning, like, you know, our dozen Twitter friends who love us will be like tweeting on it and blah, blah, blah. And it was like in the morning, it was sort of going viral. And then like 24 hours later, it was on time. And I like woke up in the hotel with (laughs) with Billy, um, the, like the morning after. And, um, you know, we were on this like romantic honeymoon trip and all this stuff. Um, and I was like, Hey, we're in time magazine. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, but but yeah, so it, it, like on the one hand, like it's kind of funny because it was definitely not intentional, but on the other hand, it's like, it's super sobering because it was just this thing where you're like, Oh, we're just going to talk about, you know, um, these experiences that we've had that we've known, you know, some of our friends have had and we've, you know, we all talk, but, um, but we didn't nearly expect it to have the reach that it did. Um, and so when it started being a thing where it's like lots of other people that were participating in it, people we didn't know, people we'd never heard of, um, we started to realize, oh my God, like we have something here that is really, truly happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, for me, hearing Emily's story originally, like about a decade ago, um, was really sort of the thing that I think brought us together. Um, It was the first like really vulnerable thing that she um, disclosed to me. And I knew that that was hard for her. So I, I have been, I have, I have had that story and those names and that church and like all of those things in my brain for about a decade and felt very strongly about it, of course. And then when, um, when Emily posted the thread on Twitter, um, basically outing him, I was, I remember I was walking into the movie theater to see something and I just, I couldn't even think about the movie. I was just in a, in a, in a world of like rage and emotion. And, um, I had this sense that, um, what was coming after this was, um, was big. And I felt that, you know, Emily and I have a have a modest reach on Twitter. I mean, I think we we have enough people to to talk to us on we there, do. but <laughs> we do all right. Um, I don't. We've never started a viral hashtag before, um, but I had the sense that this was the kind of conversation that, if it was able to gain mm. the traction that it has, would blow up because these stories are out there. You know, I've There's, been hearing yeah. them for my entire adult and adolescent life, so. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't surprised by how many people came forward. I was, I was glad and surprised that it, that it took and that it gained the visibility that it needed to. Mm-hmm. But it's such a weird feeling because it's like, you're so sad. Mm-hmm. You're so sad that all of this is the case. But you're also like, there's like this cathartic um, experience that's a part of it of like, oh my God, I'm so glad we're saying this. And I'm so glad it's finally like these stories are getting the visibility that they deserve, that they've always deserved that like people are understanding, but, but also like, it's so sad. It's really, it's really a mixed bag of emotions. But for me, it's kind of like, I've been sad. I have been (laughs) sad 
for as long yeah. as I have been cognizant. And so, of course, it's sad, but at the same time, I feel this, like, very particular sense of vindication. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm yeah. not crazy. All Like, this great din of voices proves that we're not crazy, that purity culture does lead to rape culture. Yeah. And we're seeing it transpiring in congregations, and not even just Christian or evangelical congregations. I mean, I saw tags from India, tags from Egypt, like people who were saying that in religious contexts that, that there was a, a, a space for sexual harassment and abuse to occur. And um, I don't know, that makes a lot of sense to me, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, like, taking traumatic things and putting them in the light, if it's something that you can do healthily and something mm-hmm. that doesn't place you in harm's way. I mean, there is tremendous power in that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Well, and I think that's an important side note too, is that like, there's been a lot of people who have come forward and like said these things happened to them or even, you know, straight up name their abusers as I did. Um, but there's people for whom that would put them in harm's way. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about, Oh, are you naming specific people? Are you just talking about generals? And it's like, if you, if you can and you want to, you should, but like, if you are safe to, yeah, if you're safe to, there's a lot of reasons why you might not want to. There's a lot of like safety considerations, depending on how like scary the person who abused you is like, there's a lot of safety considerations to be had. So I don't know. I think that's always a really important caveat to make is that like, it is good to have that information out there, but also there's a lot of reasons why people can't specifically name their abusers. And that's also okay. Like mm-hmm. you need to consider mm-hmm. personal safety. Yeah. Yeah. I, Absolutely. I I can certainly um, understand t- the, the degree to which seeing something like this succeed in the way in which it has had, can be, completely conflicting because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I mean this is something that's that's gained traction and has got a, gotten attention because it's sort of victims have been silenced either by mm-hmm. by the norms of churches or literally um yeah mm-hmm. or by their own yeah um I can't speak from experience so I don't want to speak too much further on that yeah. without like sticking Putting my foot no. in my mouth, but there's um, certainly a variety of reasons why it happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but you did mention uh, that you know purity culture can lead into things like like rape culture and other sorts of uh, much more harmful things. Um, for those that might not be familiar or haven't had this particular experience, because I think that is um, one of the sort of uh, counterpoints that people try to bring up as well. This isn't my experience. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if, um, yeah. if, if you could talk to a little bit, uh, talk, talk to that a little bit as far as, well, these are the sorts of norms that are, that can be very common within churches. These are the sorts of things that allow this, these horrendous events to happen. Mm. Yeah. So, um, I would say that, and this is something that Emily and I have honestly been trying to bring to light for a while, um, is that the root of 
um, sexual abuse and harassment in the church really is theological. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just something that happens in a vacuum and is then silenced. Um, Which it does happen, like, it does happen other places. It's like, a lot of people's, like, a lot of people's objections have been, like, well, how do you explain um, this happening in, like, secular, quote-unquote, environments, like, you know, Hollywood or Washington? It's it's not like sexual assault doesn't happen other places. Obviously, it does. There's a variety of um, contributing factors to the sexual well, the patriarchy adult. exists yeah. everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> There's a variety of contributing factors to the sexual epi- uh, assault epidemic that we have. Mm. But what we're saying is that we're talking specifically about the church. We're not talking about Washington and Hollywood right now. We're talking about specifically the church and specifically the church. One of those major contributing factors is this culture of purity culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying it's theological. Um, so could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for those who may not be aware of what purity culture means, it's essentially, um, the sexual education or really lack thereof within Mm -hmm. the church that, um, promotes abstinence that really, um, kind of, cuts out any other kind of sexual education and really um, says that sex has to exist within marriage only. Within heterosexual marriage only. Heterosexual marriage, yes, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, of course, there are a lot of people that are left out by that. And also, and I think that this was a really important point that um, Rachel Virginia made on Twitter, is that... Um, there are definite racist undertones to purity <laughs> culture as well, because the ideal woman does not just have a gentle and quiet spirit. She's also this, you know, um, submissive, small, white, middle class. Like, I mean, if you even just look at the pictures in modesty books, which there are mm-hmm. many of, um, you get this sense that there is only one specific kind of woman that is quote unquote correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that, I mean, purity culture definitely exists for men as well. It seems a little bit more lax. I mean, um, but like I know the, so many men who have been harmed by purity culture in so far as like it, it, uh, like stunts them emotionally. It's the sense of like all relationships and all touch or sexual, like sexualized. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Purity culture definitely helps men or yeah. harms men as well. It's just it. Harms, oh yeah, it harms us in unique ways, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. As far as for the the you know straight male experience, oh. there like there are books like Every Young Man's Battle. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. that oh, so many men, so many men whose relationships have been harmed because of the things that they learned in purity culture, and I'm like, I feel bad for you. Like that sucks. It sucks to feel that way. Um. So yeah. So that's kind of all the things that we were trying to explore with this is like, okay, let's talk about the ways that, that purity culture, um, informs the way that women and men and, and people of all genders understand their sexual experience and how that could possibly lead mm-hmm. in the tr- specifically to this kind of hush hushing of abuse, this gaslighting of abuse, this, um, justification of abuse. And I think that's where we were really trying to get at is like, Okay, yes, obviously abuse happens everywhere. Um, In the church specifically, abuse does happen as it happens everywhere. And often in the church specifically, it is justified 
it is explained away. It is um, kind of laughed off. It is um, put in the category of like, oh, well, this is just normal or this is how God wants it, which adds, I think, another sinister layer to it. You know, oh, there's certainly. one thing to, there's one thing to say, like, I'm abusing you. And there's another thing to say, like, I'm abusing you and this is how God wants it and he's okay with it. Mm. Or abusers confess and they're immediately forgiven without any um, concern for their victims at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are some of the stories that we're seeing on church too, is one in particular from Jamie Lee Finch. Mm -hmm. Um, She mentioned that um, someone came forward in a church service and spoke about um, wanting to sexually abuse someone and confessed it. And, and he, he was celebrated, you know, for Mm -hmm. this, not considering the fact that his victim or, or would be desired victim would be victim was sitting in that congregation, you know? And, and while I absolutely believe in, you know, forgiveness and redemption, I think that, um, there's definitely how it works. (laughs) No, that's not, (laughs) that's not how that works. Yeah, that's like weird preemptive yeah. forgiveness of – and also traumatizing your potential victim. Yeah, <laughs> It's trying to – yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Real. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so one of the things that uh, ended up being – so I one of the tweets that I, I put out that was actually trying to promote Church 2 and point back to you, it was both of you – um, there was like a two-part tweet that said, follow this hashtag. And then the next one was like, it. Uh, I was like texting, uh, messaging you both, like trying to find out like if you guys made, started this and everything. And then I said, follow these people. These are the ones that started it. Um, but then you can't choose which of your tweets goes viral. And it, actually the one that was. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> <laughs> Like, don't you love when you tweet something and you're like, it's that's rude. not funny at all. And then it gets like 200 retweets. And then you tweet something that you're like, this is gold. This is like my premium content. And then like nobody cares. <laughs> yes, I hate absolutely. <laughs> you get five likes. You get like, five likes. And I'm like, you guys, that was gold. You that ingrates. So- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So, so that one also got picked up in that time article and was embedded in that time article. And then... Um, what was a result of that is that I said this was about women that had been abused or assaulted. Um, and mm-hmm. then some, a number of people, um, tweeted at me saying this, and this affects men too. This affects boys too. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. was like this weird, uh, um, yeah. this weird thing that just happened because that was the one that happened to get picked up and retweeted a mm-hmm. lot. Um, <laughs> And it was completely not not the intended consequence of that. So sorry if you had to clear that up a few times in oh, the first couple no. of days. It was, um, I mean, like, I think but, honestly, like, we all look at this and we go, like, people of all genders have been victims of the church's mm-hmm. inability to come to terms with the sexual assault problem, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, I mean, overwhelmingly, the victims are women and overwhelmingly, the perpetrators are men. But that's not to say that it doesn't sometimes go the other way. And I think, yeah, I think especially because purity culture puts on men this like unrealistic manliness sort of expectation. Mm -hmm. um, I think it does make it hard for male victims 
of assault and abuse to come forward. It makes it uniquely hard for them because it's like, because of the way that we structure our gender relationships in this like weird inorganic, um, structure that, well, I think that's down to us. So I, you know, I'm like, uh, overwhelmingly the victims have been women, but it's like, I, I think every man or everyone of every gender who has been a victim of sexual assault should, um, feel like they will be supported if they come forward. Um, and Mm. I think purity culture makes it uniquely hard to feel that way because of the weird gender binary that it imposes on people and the weird expectations that come with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's, um, talk a little bit about the people that have, um, been sort of giving you blowback. You're, you're sort of, <laughs> there, there, there have been a you know, few. Did you know that Hannah and I are a lesbian and a yoga teacher? <laughs> I didn't. This is I new to me. It was crazy. I went to yoga for like 90, 90 minutes and I came out and it was like, then I looked at my Twitter when I got out of class. And it was like, oh, a lesbian and a yoga teacher. And I was like, well, I am a lesbian. I mean, wait, no, I am a yoga teacher, but <laughs> you were definitely the yoga teacher and I was the lesbian in this yeah, scenario. Was, was lesbian and I was the yoga teacher and I'm like, well, I am a yoga teacher, but like, we're both bi, none of this is really correct. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I, I think for me, um, I have had a very strict internet rule of mm-hmm. not feeding the trolls um, because it would mess too much with my emotional well-being in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with church too, I really have um, taken on this new role of almost kind of a pastoral vibe towards those who are sharing. Because I mean, purity culture, rape culture, uh, abuse within the church are topics that I've been talking about and Emily has been talking about for half a decade. So it's not a new conversation to me. All of my bridges have already been burned. Like the ones that we're going to burn are burned. And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried about people reading something that I posted being like, you know, pearl clutching. Um, Mm. But for a lot of people coming forward, this is their first time. And they're putting this, they're putting their very vulnerable story out on a viral Mm -hmm. hashtag. They don't know who's going to see it. And yet they managed to put it out there and like, that level of bravery and courage is absolutely astounding to me. And it's also something that I felt the need as someone who had more experience with this topic to be somewhat protective of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think we, we started to notice the first, the first few days were fairly quiet. And then um, we got about three or four days in and we got at least one major troll every day. I'm glad that there were not more than that um, <laughs> because it was difficult to take take them on individually. Although I, will I was say, busy. I was like trying to be on my like romantic anniversary trip with my husband and I'd be like, sorry, let me stop having a beer with you at this romantic place to respond to this person who's calling me a yoga teacher and a lesbian. <laughs> 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 sorry, I'll be right back. I know, I know. I I was trying to take point for you, (laughs) but um, you can't help when you're being tagged. No. Um, So I think, yeah, I think uh, overwhelmingly the quote-unquote trolls have been white evangelical male 
um, church leaders, which is really mm-hmm. saddening to me and extremely unsurprising. Um, oh, I well, I'd say almost exclusively. Almost exclusively. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me at all. I think that, um, anyone who has had to endure any kind of marginalization within the church has more understanding for how something like church two could be real. Um, I'm Mm. thinking queer people, people of color, um, women, uh, non-binary transgender, you know, just the whole spectrum of people who aren't white cis males can Mm. understand, um, how something like this could occur. Um, it's unfortunate. Uh, but I think, um, I've been really grateful for the ways that we've been able to approach those people with firmness and also with empathy for the most part. Um, I think, I think the guy who said that we were a yoga, a yoga teacher and a lesbian, (laughs) he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to ever accept anything. No, he wasn't going to change his mind. He wasn't going to change his mind, but I really think that he was approached by all corners from people who were, um, uh, wanting to, you know, maintain and yeah. care for, uh, care for victims and survivors, yeah. but also were, um, you know, engaging him as a fellow human being. I would say that is a really, uh, like a real kindness. That is like, like when is. someone, when someone steps, when someone steps in and is like, I'll fight with this person for you. That's a nice thing to do. Um, <laughs> It really yeah. is. I've yeah. been thankful for it more than once this week. <laughs> of like, thank you for dealing this because I literally don't have the emotional energy to do this right now. But if you do, more power to you. Thank you. God bless. Um, <laughs> and I, I will yeah. say that there have been some um, very long-suffering white cis male dudes who have jumped in the gap there. Yourself, one of them, uh, Blake, who... Um, have sort of taken point on some of those conversations that, you know, that survivors haven't wanted or felt the emotional bandwidth to finish. Or been yeah. obligated to. Right. Yeah. 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 No one knows, no one knows anyone in an explanation. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things that I have found. Well, actually there's, there's a couple of things. First of all, I, um, what you mentioned as far as, really these these like straight white evangelical pastor types that seem to be just completely unable to actually hear the um hear the criticisms or even listen to the stories um mm-hmm. because they for instance feel that you are attacking the church attacking Christ's body and you know, <laughs> humiliating right. the church, um, <laughs> and like how, what, what do you think as far as like okay, this, and this is just, <laughs> um, this is just sort of like an open question, and it's something that I've been trying to think of uh, relative to a number of different things from people that have been traumatized by churches. Um, mm. How does, how can those particular institutions where abuse can be is prone to happen how can they hope to change if they don't mm. acknowledge that there's like a, a problem that it's not fake news that it's not like yeah you know um that there's both individual and institutional problems 
mm-hmm. um, within these organizations and within again, kind of going going back to what you said earlier, Hannah, about this being a theological problem. Um, so well, I well, and I think they can't hope to change, like unless they're willing to acknowledge that. Like on the one hand, like okay, like I hope that every conservative church out there in the world um, does prevention training with all of like. I hope if you're the most conservative church in the world, you do prevention training mm-hmm. with your with your volunteers and you mandatory background check everybody who works with your kids and you do like those are things that everybody can do, right? Like I hope that you do that. I hope that no matter where you fall in the theological spectrum, you do that. However, though, like at the end of the day, that's not enough. Because at the end of the day, what we're not talking about is a failure to background check people. Like I, I, sometimes, yeah. Like sometimes it's a failure to background check people. But that's just really like a symptom of the disease that we're speaking of. Right. Ultimately, we're so trying like, to go to the root. We're trying to go to the root. The problem. Back, background checking everyone isn't going to fix the problem that you're trying to fix. You should do it. Like you should background check your volunteers. You should put all of your volunteers and your staff through prevention training. Those are things you should do. Um, and, and, and everybody can do regardless of where you fall on the theological spectrum. But ultimately we're talking about a system that prioritizes men over against women and femme identifying people, um, that, that prioritizes adults over children, that prioritizes white folks over black folks, that prioritizes people with privilege over people with less privilege. So like, that's really what we're talking about, right? These like power dynamics that, that make abuse ripe Mm -hmm. to be harvested. And so, um, you know, we can talk about the background checks all day long and I hope that we do. I hope that everybody does background checks, but, but we're talking about a theological system here too. And I think that's kind of what's been hard for people to understand is there's been a lot of pushback of like, well, I'm a pastor and we do this and I'm like, good, I'm glad that you do like, yay. But also, can we talk about the theological systems that reward and kind of turn the other cheek to these sorts of problems because, you know, obviously sexual assault happens everywhere, but also we're talking about a unique problem within the church. And I think church too is proof that there is a unique problem within the church, that it's not just a few bad apples. Mm -hmm. So. You had things also to say, Hannah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) About, um, yeah, about, about the, the theological framework there, I think that um, it's really easy to, to sort of address behavior. And I think that that's something that the evangelical church um, sort of leans toward is changing behavior, quick fixes, mm-hmm. um, instead of addressing the root. And I, and I think that that is something that... Um, what we're seeing is that um, obviously people in power who are church leaders are definitely to blame, but a lot of the people in in the church to hashtag um, were abused by um, partners, significant others. Mm -hmm. And then those situations were silenced within the church. Mm -hmm. So Uh, Or even, like, volunteers. I read this one tag where it was like, "Um, did you know that only 170 pastors were prosecuted last year for abuse? And I was like, do you know how many of the churches 
how many of the stories on church too are not talking about pastors who were officially employed by the church. Like you can't just take the number of pastors that were prosecuted last year for abuse and use that as some kind of evidence. Most of us are not talking about pastors. Some of us are certainly, but like Mm. we're talking about deacons. We're talking about youth volunteers. We're talking about like, you know, it's, it's all this, it's all these attempts to justify, which frankly just kind of go to show like where your priorities really lie. Mm-hmm. But when churches put the onus for, um, sexual purity on the person being quote unquote lusted after versus mm-hmm. the person who is doing the lusting, yep. then that is ripe fodder for abuse because, you know, uh, specifically men start to think, well, I, I can't help it. You know, this is just the way that I am. I'm just a visual person. <laughs> and you know what? Or like that, that is really honestly rude to men to treat them like some kind of, you know, beast that can't process clearly, you know, what to do with their sexual impulses. And also it's patently false that it's only men who experience like visual sexual attraction that's bull um but Mm. when we start to put the onus on the victim while at the same time and and this is what boggles my mind is that we within evangelical like complementarian theology we are supposed to believe that men are protectors providers authority you know regardless and regardless of what role they play, whether they're our husband, our boyfriend, our pastor, our youth group leader, our small group leader. I mean, all of these roles that men are supposed to fill are seen as authority figure positions. Um, And so, you know, it really, I don't know, it it presents right fodder for um, abusive power situations to take place. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's more than likely the result of the one of the root reasons why white male pastors are threatened by the hashtag because mm-hmm. they see it as a it's essentially a, a reclamation of authority over your own yeah. experience. Well, and there's two things to say about that too that I think is like okay, number one, you know, there's been a lot of like pushback of like these people are not even like a part of the church and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, number one, that's not true. We've been a part of the church our whole life. I teach Sunday school. Number two, it shouldn't matter. Like, I think that's really the the real moral of the story is like, we shouldn't have to present our pedigree, mm-hmm. like our, our evangelical pedigree for our critiques to be valid. Right. Um, at the end of the day, you need to like evaluate people's claims based on their truthfulness and not on like the perceived validity of their source. So like, I could be like the most atheist person in the world, but like, if what I'm saying is true, you need to listen to it. Right. Like it shouldn't matter that I teach Sunday school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, but unfortunately like, it, it within, the, thing. within the evangelical church though, there's definitely this understanding that anyone who is apostate, anyone who is with anyone who is outside of mm-hmm. the church walls, so to speak, is Their somebody who can be matter anymore. immediately discounted. Yep. Because, you know, their heart is clearly in the wrong place because their opinion doesn't matter anymore. They were never saved anyway. Yeah. I mean, and so and so the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately (laughs) wicked. And they're just looking for a reason to hate God and the church. And it's just it's the most untrue thing in the whole world. But it's a very convenient excuse for why not to listen to survivors of abuse. Mm -hmm. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to go down a similar thing there as well as far as the ways in which pe- people try to engage conversations um, with those that do not have a comfortable place within evangelicalism. So, again, mm-hmm. people of color, um, LGBTQ people, uh, those sorts of people that are legitimately threatened um, within their sense of identity by evangelical theology, by particular um, groups or places. Um, and I think one of the, another one of the sort of one of the critiques and types of critiques I've seen lobbying against you and other people that are talking about these issues on the on the hashtag is this sense that, you know, come talk to my church. You know, I want to have this dialogue with you. Come talk, at, uh, come talk to us. Uh, but come, come talk to us on, on. I will though if you pay me dollars. <laughs> <laughs> We're well, Hannah and I, I are both Hannah and I are both very available for booking to come we to your church. For hire. We yes. are for hire. Yes, for hire. However, um, I think the situation in particular that you're referencing, Blake. <laughs> I'm being very um, oblique, but we can. You are. You are. <laughs> bless your heart. Um, in the in the specific situation that you mention, um, it was it was one of these situations where um, the conference in question was already completely booked. Um, I mean, <laughs> yes. you can see you can see their website, you can see their lineup online, um, and it is almost entirely white cis men um and with one black there was one black man and there was a there was a panel on women of, of some sort and that were was one, were there women on the panel i don't know if there was one I on don't the know. panel it didn't there, say there's no there's no saying it wasn't specific um, but somebody had tagged us saying oh emily and hannah are must uh, must hire speakers for this conference. And I was like, oh, thanks, friend. That's really sweet. But also, they're literally never going to ask us. <laughs> no, we would we would not at all be the choices for that. So as that conversation progressed, one of the um, one of the organizers of that conference reached out to us and said, you know, we'd love to have you. And it, it just sort of spun into this conversation where... Um, it became clear that um, some really key foundations were not there in mm-hmm. terms of how we would be able to have that conversation. I mean, I am more than willing to have dialogue with people who may not have my exact same views. I mean, hell, I'm somebody who has almost kind of complete- what we kind of what we do all day long. Yeah, I've almost completely left the church, and yet I am advocating for and fighting for people within the church. I mean, Mm. I spend most of my life working with people who don't exactly agree with me. That's not Mm -hmm. the problem here. But the problem in this specific scenario was that um, we were asked to speak and basically give— basically give reasons for why we should be able to exist within the church, because one of the major presenters and one of the the ideologies of that particular organization is that um, anything other than complete heterosexuality is against God. And so for people, you know, for queer women, that's 
100% not a safe scenario to walk mm-hmm. into. I don't need to walk onto your platform and tell you why I should be allowed to exist. Why I'm like, not sitting and going to hell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and also I'm really busy. Like my friends are dying. (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't have time. I'm trying to like provide care to my friends and provide hope to people on the journey. Like I don't have time to go backwards and be like, please let me tell you why, like, let me come here and argue about my right to exist or, or even argue. I mean, I don't know, like pick something else, pick some other topic. I don't like, I don't need to come argue about some other topic that doesn't have to do with my sexuality because I'm like who I am as a person in, in holisticness is not welcome here. Like, well, and I, and I think ultimately our job, I think Mm -hmm. it's really easy growing up within the church to gain kind of the savior complex where, you know, if anybody reaches out to you, it's like, Oh, I got to save this person. I got to change their mind. But no, like all that that will do is make you lose your own sanity. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, I have had to realize that I'm not here to change anyone's mind. I'm here to present a framework for equity to those whose minds are already changing and they're out there. We're seeing that they're my darkness, you know, and there's people. There's people that that like that work is totally a hundred percent worth it for towards, you know, like I will, I will do my darnness to help people on that path. But there's other people where I'm like, this is not my calling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and that's kind of the situation of your time. You have to protect your time and your emotional labor because we already time and my emotional labor is valuable emotionally. It's valuable monetarily. Like it's valuable spiritually. All, all these things matter. And so what do I want to do with the precious time that I have? And so we were like, I kind of feel uncomfortable about this. And, um, you know, with all the church too stuff kind of just blowing up, we're, we're just trying to kind of be, um, selective and careful about what we do. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, and so, yeah, so there's a lot of, I don't know, it, it's, it's separate, but it's not separate, you know, like they're different issues, but they're not different issues because ultimately what we're talking about is men who can't take no for an answer. (laughs) 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 Kind of. Oh my God. Yeah. That could be like the title of my life movie. Men who, that's fine. No for an Men who no, can't take no for an answer. Yeah, but that's ultimately what we're talking about. Yes. Like, not exclusively, but by and large. <laughs> yeah, and that, that I, I mean, I, I wanted to talk about that because it, it, it's, it's one significant example. If you're on Twitter yeah. and you follow Hannah and Emily, it, I mean, it happened there. Uh, so, I mean, it's a, it's a significant example. It's a of, trip. We have a good time. Yeah. Join us. It's a party. <laughs> Definitely. They are solid <laughs> followers. So, very solid followers. Um, so I feel like everybody's going to be really disappointed because I got like 400 followers overnight from Church 2. <laughs> and I'm like, man, they're going to be super disappointed when I start live tweeting the Kardashians. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's what or I the can, Bachelor. I contain multitudes. That's right. That's right. And that's what Twitter, Twitter is for multitude, <laughs> multitudinal personalities. Because, yeah. Real. Yeah. Very real. Because, uh, I mean... You can enjoy my evangelical threads and also my hot takes on re- wearing a red shirt to Target. But so. I think, 
<laughs> don't like, do that on, like that's a bad when you're choice. on twitter people expect you to be like nothing but like an encyclopedia of knowledge and it's like i am a human being like let me tweet about the bachelor i, yeah. I have problematic <laughs> faves okay yes. that i want to talk about okay like <laughs> i know that all of my favorite movies are terrible just let me like them it's <laughs> real they're they're yeah. so bad emily has the worst <laughs> movie taste never listen to her it's fine i'm okay with it <laughs> She's proud of it, okay? Yeah. She's proud of it. <laughs> I've come to terms. <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but it, it was, that that particular conversation that, that unfolded on, on Twitter, mm-hmm. it was very, um, it, it just seemed to be a, a very good example, like you said, of, of people trying to, uh, a certain type of person trying to frame what's happening within their own terms and if it doesn't fit those terms then mm-hmm. sort um being prone to rejecting it if not outrighting uh rejecting it um mm-hmm. and then you know just that is one of the things th- that does sort of tie into that question i asked about how these institutions these behaviors can change um if people but i mean when these people fail to listen to the stories that are being told through church mm-hmm. too um, <laughs> that's, that's sort of, I don't really have it. I mean, that's, I don't really yeah. know if there's anything to say other than that uh, for me. Um, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm just as an observer. Uh, that's what I, what I've seen both of you tackle with a lot of, a lot of grace. <laughs> so, so mm. church too is not an attack on church. Mm-mm. Um, and I think that's what it's been misread as that we're somehow, um, trying to take down the church. And what I will differentiate there is that we are absolutely trying to take down evangelicalism. And what's sad about, um, what's sad about this whole conversation is that evangelicals have so, um, fused their identity with their theology that it's impossible to question. It's impossible to, um, so you're like, it's a, everything's connected. It's a brick wall. It's like, you're, I can't give up my idea, my idea in X without my entire theology. And so they feel apart. threatened yeah. that we're so somehow sad. trying to dismantle them or their faith. And that's not it at all. Mm-mm. I would love to be able to see congregations that can embrace a fully embodied intersectional theology but that is hard work, and that co- that is there's a lot of deconstruction involved there on the front end, and that's sort of what Emily and I are trying to do. It has nothing to do with the hatred for the church. I mean, my God, like we've Mm-mm. we've dedicated our entire um, professional and adult lives yeah. to the church. Um, no, and I think so, the church has a lot of the church has a God. The church has a lot of clout. It has a lot of resources. It has a lot of manpower. Like it could be such a force for good in the world, and it and in a lot of ways is. There's so many sectors in which um, religious people motivated for a cause do amazing stuff, you know. And I'm just like, can we mobilize that in other places? Mm-hmm. But like, I also I think it's important to mention that there are so many people that live in this strange no man's land mm-hmm. in between yeah. Christianity and atheism. Um, I think there's a lot of people who have come out of the church who don't feel that, 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 that is their home anymore. Yeah. And yet they, um, 
you know, there's there's this whole like rebel trope within evangelicalism <laughs> that like <Yeah. laughs> if you've rejected the faith, you're just a rebel and you know, you never loved God anyway and all of Raise this your thing. hand. Raise your hand if you were a problem child. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, hi. Here I am. Well, here, here we are. I am with my tube of red <laughs> lipstick. But um I think there's a lot of people that live in that margin mm. a lot more than than we've accounted for. Um, people who are very interested in returning to some form of faith or spirituality, but who feel that um, the churches that exist currently is not a safe space for them. Mm-hmm. And um, those, I mean, those are my people, like, because <laughs> because that's me too. I mean, I, I absolutely, I have, you know, the evangelical pedigree, and yet I don't know where I belong. I, I definitely don't think I belong in any sort of, like, organized congregation, um, although I'm happy to go to yours and tell you how to not religious traumatize people. Um, <laughs> right. but, um, I think that it's really important to acknowledge that there is a whole host. And I mean, that's what you do, Blake. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. evangelical is, is that it's a space for those of us who live in that no man's land to say, Hey, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I am spiritual. I want to be able to build some sort of some sort of semblance yeah. of faith or theology or spirituality. Well, so that's one of the most like sidebar. Uh, that was one of the most frustrating parts about the church to hashtag too was um, there was a whole bunch of like, um, like super hardcore, like God delusion atheists who jumped on there too, mm-hmm. who were like, Oh, your whole problem is that you believe in a mythical sky being and religion sucks. If you would stop believing in a mythical sky being, you wouldn't be abused. And it was like, okay, that's not like really deeply unhelpful, friend. That's deeply yeah. unhelpful. Yeah. Like, I don't really frankly care if you're an atheist or an agnostic or a deist. Like, this is not the most important thing to me. <laughs> um yeah. but if you're about to jump on here and be like, Oh, the problem is that you are a deist and like, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of, I was like, I'm almost as mad as the, at those people as I was at the guy calling us a lesbian and a yoga teacher. I was right. like, as far as I'm concerned, you guys are both on my shit list right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's sort of, it's sort of gaslighting <laughs> people who are still in the church or who are harmed by the church. Like, well, it was your bad for getting yeah. in there in the first place. Like, if you weren't so stupid. So many smart, wonderful, brilliant people who are still in the church, who are still very much um, Christians, who still believe the things, who are doing so much good work. And I just, to me, it, it, it bothered me deeply. It's lazy. It's intellectually lazy. Because you're, you're chalking things up. And I'm like, I'm not saying we don't need to talk about like the theology inherent here. Like we need to, we need to flesh these things out and what that really means pragmatically. Like. I get it, but also it's very lazy. Um, and, and yeah, is frankly a little elitist. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, that was a sidebar that I wanted to make, but oh, the sure. people who are, the people who are saying, Oh, you just need to give up belief in all religion. were just as problematic to me as lesbian and yoga teacher pastor. I mean, it's fine to believe that it's fine to believe that, but also don't believe that that on other people. You can't make, yeah, you can't come onto this hashtag where people are sharing their stories of abuse and be like, 
oh, that's because you're bad for being Christian. You're bad for being, yeah. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's not really my most important thing. I don't, I'm not invested in the outcome of this insofar as I'm not invested in people being atheist or agnostic or Christian or staying in the church or leaving the church. I really don't care. You know, there's a lot of people on the tag who are even like, don't let this be a reason for leaving the church. And I was like, leave it. If you need to leave it, leave it. I'm not invested in people staying in the church or leaving the church. I'm invested in people being healthy, holistic, Mm -hmm. like human beings who love themselves and love others. If that looks like staying, stay. Yeah. And there's not one answer for that. Like that's every individual's person. I, I, I don't know. To me, I don't like the one size all fits or the one size fits all approach because it's like you got to figure out what you got to do for you that is going to be the thing that leads you to being the most healthy holistic person that you can be that loves yourself and Mm -hmm. loves others and feels connected to the universe feels connected to god like feels spiritually whole that's going to look different for you than it is for me and that's okay right Mm -hmm. yeah cosign yeah (laughs) yeah The fundamentalist that wants you to give your life to the flying spaghetti monster is just as bad as the one that wants you to give your life to Jesus. Yeah. I'm like, can, Real. We, not, can we just let each other be people? Can we just let each other figure our shit out? Like, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's to me, that's uh, I'm, I'm completely agree. And like I to me, that's also like I don't I also don't care like <laughs> where necessarily where you are like yeah like and whether you're in line with the things that no right it's the the thing that's important is at wholeness over holiness like if you're oh my a, god yeah if mm-hmm. you're a whole person just uh, like put that on a t-shirt blake i'll <laughs> buy that one all right i would wear it. that t-shirt uh, so, uh, so yeah just exactly what, what you're saying emily it's it's that yeah if you're holistic if you feel complete that's the thing that if God exists, that's that's probably what they what they want for you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they care about that more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I I mean, it, like it like you've mentioned before, it's very conflicting to say, you know, that, that you're excited about something that, yeah. that has people's uh, abuse as a central part of it. Um, yeah. but that's, mm-hmm. again, that's not, that's not all it is, which is what makes it a conflicted and complicating thing. The, yeah. It's also this empowering thing that you've, that mm-hmm. you've given over to Twitter. And it's this, um, it's a, well, it's vehicle. kind of its own thing now. Like the first right. few days you babysit it and you're like, okay, I'm going to take care of this. And like, Guide it. And then at a certain point, it sort of becomes its own thing sure. of like, okay, yeah. people are using this yeah. in yeah. a way that is organic and sort of separate from me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, the, it's like it's flown out of, out of the Twitter nest and, you know, yeah. into the <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so as far as like that being a, a conflicting thing, and it's definitely something that, that this conversation that you started – um, the two of you, you started, um, where, where would you sort of like the, the conversations to keep happening? And if there's, I know you, I know you're already, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's probably, there's so many things. And I think, you know, yeah. I, I think that, that 
you both of you are are well suited to this this work and that yeah and i mean you can hear the this like, is all i can do <laughs> this, this is, is this I is literally but frankly this is literally what we've been preparing to do since since it's Purity, true it's since true Purity culture rehab project we have been preparing ourselves for this like mm-hmm. this has been kind of our whole thing so on the one hand it's difficult like when we when we were on teen vogue we both had this moment of like this sucks like this is terrible that this is what it took that it took all of these people sharing all of these horrifying things that it took you know our, ourselves coming forward with our own stories that are really deeply painful and personal like it sucks that that's what it took but also it was sort of this cathartic experience of like we've been working really hard for this like we've been trying we've been having this conversation in 18 million different ways for, for the last five years for the I mean longer than that you know like since, yeah, since we became friends like so, <laughs> so on yeah. the one hand it's like it's difficult and it's hard and it's like wow this really sucks that like this is what it had to come to but on the other hand it is sort of like this this experience of like a lot of really hard work you know mm. sort of paying sort of paying off in this moment of like all of us being able to come together because like now's the time, right? Like this is the moment where we're having this like really weird cultural moment where this is a thing that people do, right? Where people, <laughs> where people get on the internet and talk about their sexual abuse. And this is like, this is a hallelujah cultural, because yeah, this is a cultural is- moment that we're having and it's great. And um, somebody asked me the other day if I thought that it was a thing that was going to lead to long-term change. And I was like, I don't know. We'll see. Like I want to, I want to be hopeful. I'm not a necessarily optimistic person as a personality, but I want to believe that like the critical mass that we're experiencing right now is going to lead to a long-term societal change. I think that's up to us. This conversation is going to lead to long-term societal change. Okay. Like I'm speaking that into existence. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a, I'm a deeply more optimistic person than Emily, (laughs) Um, but I, I, I sincerely believe that. And honestly, like for me, I would love to see an entire theological overhaul. So purity Mm -hmm. culture is just one piece of that in my mind. I think that uh, we need to approach um, systemic racism within the church. I think we need to uh, approach um, queer phobia. I think we need to approach capitalism. I think that those are all topics that um, have really infiltrated the church theologically in harmful ways and um, that is ultimately my goal is to get at all of those roots. Um, I need to like slow myself down and like <laughs> take it a little bit at a time because I'm like raring to go, you know, but yeah, um, I know that feeling. <laughs> I think <For sure>. yes, <laughs> but those are all pieces of the conversation that need to transpire. And I think that we are, I think that not everyone is ready to have it, but enough mm-hmm. people are ready to have it that we're I think church two is evidence forefront. of that. Absolutely. It's, church two Absolutely. is evidence, evidence yep. that people are ready to have that conversation as a result of like this super weird, but frankly kind of great and terrible and awful conversation that we are having nationally right now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, where do you go from here? I mean, like, so people have asked that a lot. Like, what do you want churches to do? And I'm like, on the one hand, I want every church to do the practical things. Right. Like on the one hand, I want every church to have the sexual abuse policy and to do the training and to do the background checks, do all of that, like do that yesterday. On the other hand, it's like, 
where we go from here is we really need to to dismantle these things at the root, right? So like um, one of the worst contributors to this church too situation that we have is purity culture. And that's the belief that the only acceptable sexual expression is one man, one woman for life and a heterosexual marriage and abstinence before marriage and everything else is sin, right? Um, if you're committed to that, I don't know how helpful you can be. That's kind of like, it's sort of like a hard truth of like, well, if you're not willing to dismantle purity culture, like, okay, sure. Like you can do background checks on your volunteers. That's great. That's the thing that you should do. But like, ultimately you're, you're putting a bandaid on a bullet wound. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this is, that, that's like hard. That's a hard thing to say. It's a hard, it's hard to be like, well, it's not good enough, but it's not, you know, like you should do those things, but ultimately we have to talk about, okay, what is the backdrop that is making these situations possible because it's not like if you did background checks, this would never happen because a lot of people, most abusers don't have backgrounds. Most abusers don't have prior convictions. Like, so you could background check everyone. Well, unfortunately at the very, at at the very root of purity culture um, is a hatred and fear of the human body my God. Um, I think that we, we have espoused quite a lot of like Gnosticism into Mm -hmm. evangelicalism, which says that, um, we are just supposed to be disembodied spirits and brains and we're Mm. just, you know, moving through the world. Frankly, why I became a yoga teacher in the first place. Thank you, Twitter pastor. (laughs) That's, that's exactly (laughs) why I'm a yoga teacher because of the disembodiment of evangelicalism. And there's so much, I think, I mean, this is a whole entire other conversation, but as I'm yeah, like I'm studying <laughs> religious trauma um, and, and really any kind of trauma is that it's stored within the body. Yep. And so that there's, um, we really have to start to reconcile the connection between our, whatever you want to call it, your soul, your mind back with your body, because mm-hmm. that's what you live in. You know, that the only thing a, that you have. really yeah absolutely so I mean I could I could go off there that's a whole nother conversation (laughs) to have and we should definitely have it oh Um, my god yeah we could do a whole episode (laughs) on Gnosticism and anti-bodiness in conservative Christianity but but ultimately yeah it's it's that situation of like okay we like you should do the practical things but we have to talk about what is actually leading to the situation that we have and so I mean, where people want to go from there, like start dismantling purity culture, start dismantling rape culture, start dismantling white supremacy, start dismantling colonialism, like take all of your sacred idols and examine them, like hold them up to the light, turn them around, be honest about the pragmatic outcomes of these doctrines that you hold so dear and see how they are coming to fruition in death for so many people. Mm. And then once you are aware of that, make changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't teach that anymore. Like unlearn that. Teach your staff to unlearn it. Like teach others to unlearn it, paint a new way forward. And I, I like, I get that it's all very high and lofty and, you know, it's a a lot harder said than done or it's a lot harder (laughs) done than said, but it, it, yeah, it's a situation of like 
you can't have this canon of untouchable doctrine if you want to fix things where you put everything that can't be questioned over here. And then, well, here's the things we can ask questions about, but this stuff is untouchable. No, like is what you're saying there in that situation is that there's doctrine that is worth more to me than people's lives, than people's souls. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately that is where a lot of evangelicals land, but the good news is that not all of them. And no, and that's, we're doing essentially is that yeah that's the work we're doing church to exist for those who are willing to question and consider that so yeah absolutely and i think that's a good that's a good place to be because i mean that's also what that's also that's also what i you know hope to um, make possible for people that listen to this show Mm -hmm. that they're questioning then they have you as examples in this conversation of people that have questions and hmm. have gone through that process and hmm. and have come out the other side in a in a really in a in a better place, even yeah. though despite all the pain, like where you are now, is in a healthier place than than where you came from. Um, well, and it's sort right. of like you know, like when you're in school and the teacher asks a question and nobody says anything, and it's like crickets, crickets, crickets. Mm-hmm. And then one one person answers the question, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's like a floodgate. Then everybody else feels like they can talk, yeah, right? Exactly. And it's like I think that's kind of the space that we're trying to stand in for a lot of people who are coming out of evangelicalism. Is like we're gonna we're gonna answer the question. Like here we are. Let, here we'll just be the first person to raise our hand. Um, and if that makes somebody else feel like they can raise their hand, like. Ultimately, that is the best gift. That's worth it. Uh, yeah, is making That's somebody else feel like yeah. they can also they can also raise their hand and say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's powerful. That's incredibly powerful, um, and it's it's incredibly it's incredibly timely in a in a nation where right now. There's someone in a neck and neck race. One of someone that's <laughs> a civil rights lawyer, and the other is a sexual predator. <laughs> well, you know, and honestly, that- the whole Roy Moore situation is, I think, ultimately, what caused me to feel like I it was time for me to come forward because I was like, if we're talking about details, technically speaking, my abuser was also a man in his 30s who thought that he was dating teenagers. <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's like at the end of the day, like, that's literally what we're talking about right now. So, like, I have a very vested personal interest in this because I'm like, I, you know, I was that person. Yeah. I was, I was that, that person that Roy Moore was trying to date. Um, and I, you know, and I, and I feel very personally connected to all of these people who are saying, oh, well, it was so many years ago or, oh, he asked permission or, oh, it was a different time. And, you know, and it's just not... Yep. God damn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. No, I've been no, talking no, about it the last couple of weeks, so it's yeah. I'm, no. I'm, I'm a little bit I'm uh I'm a little bit less emotional about it than I was. I'm also a five on the Enneagram, so um <laughs> there's a 
There's oh yeah, a, let me know when you want to do the Enneagram episode, yeah. Blake. There's oh, a little yeah. bit of an attachment. Oh my God, yes, Hannah, you have to do an Enneagram episode. That would be so Millenniagram. great. Enneagram, that's what's up. <laughs> yeah, I I went on the Twisted Twisted Sisters show and they gave me an Enneagram test on the air. So. <laughs> oh, what, what did, did you call us? Well, oh they God, thought James. before that I would be uh, nine, but. They mm-hmm. they thought I would be a I guess I was like a two or something I don't know I'm very mm-hmm. I'm I'm still usually when I've done the tests and all that stuff I'm somewhere between uh like the the numbers that come up are four five six and nine yeah so. well you gotta you gotta read the descriptions I feel like the tests are useful but but it's more about what you identify the tests are trash. They, get, they give you a jumping off point. Like if you take yeah. a test, you can like, oh, maybe I start here. And that's and then you go and read the descriptions. But it's really, I don't know, it's more about what you identify with because yeah, what your basic sure. fears and motivations are. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. This is a different episode, this is, okay? This is a different episode, <laughs> but I'm so curious, though. I really am deeply curious. Anyway, yeah. all of that to say, <laughs> yeah, Roy Moore is trash and... <laughs> Yeah, it is. What she it brings is. it back. Yeah. Yep. Um. But but no. On that on that note, like seriously though, like that's that's the conversation that we're having nationally right now is like, right. should we put a pedophile in office because he will vote pro life? And I mean, frankly, Not we are pro life. We already had that conversation a year ago. Right. And America said yes. So, like. Eighty-one percent of evangelicals said yes. Yeah, 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 said yes. Well, yeah. So I'm not like I'm not, I'm not trying to vomit on air here. No, and I'm, today, not, so. I'm not. I'm not hella hopeful. Um, but I just I want to be clear that that's the level of conversation that we're at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh It's just well. I would say that's discouraging, very discouraging. But what you're doing is encouraging and it's the Cheers. it's the you know it's the counterpoint to that crazy insane reality is that that by by empowering the victims stories in the way that you have um you've legitimated them uh, and i think that's that's such good work and i'm i'm very happy to be able to highlight it in the show and elsewhere on Twitter and everywhere else. Um, so. Well, and I, I want to be super clear too, that like we're a freaking conduit. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody's been so freaking brave. Like everybody has had so much bravery and so much courage in like coming right. forward. And it's like, so yeah. So we tweeted out a hashtag and stuff, but it's like people, this belongs to everyone. This belongs to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This belongs yeah, to everyone who has tweeted on church too. I mean, frankly, this belongs to everyone who has tweeted on me too, who, who built the foundation for this, like mm-hmm. this belongs to everyone. And so I think like, I, I don't yeah, know, yeah, you know yeah, like me too is where I told my story originally. We're comparing notes, friends. Like, <laughs> right. There's power in comparing mm. notes. Yeah. Well, I I want to be sensitive to your time and everything. Was there anything else that I, I didn't really touch on or that, that we haven't talked about that you want to bring up relative to this or anything else that that um, that we haven't talked about that you just want to want to get out there? I think I think we ranted at you. Yeah, no, we ranted. <laughs> um, we'll come to your place. Uh, yes. Hannah and I will both come if to your you place. You are listening this, to this. This is a real thing. We will 
we will come uh, to your church or to your school um, for some dollars. Um, you Very can email reasonable us. amounts of dollars. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but but our our whole thing is, um, you know, we want to make this conversation uh, available. We want to make it accessible. And we, I, you know, we, we both have our own stories. We want to share those, but, um, but yeah, this is a thing that we care a lot about and, um, intersects with a lot of our most important values that we've been working on for a lot lot of years. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it sucks that like, this is the case, right. (laughs) Um, but this is a super important thing. And we've been, we've been talking for a long time about how, how purity culture is damaging. Um, and I think church too is, is an important part of, of highlighting that and of saying like, we're not alone. Like the Mm -hmm. people who have experienced these sort of things, it's not an isolated incident. It's not a bad apple. It's not, you know, this one weird occurrence, like it's a result of individual bad choices, but it's also a result of systemic injustice. And so, um, and also we're starting, um, church two events are starting to happen. So yeah, there's um, one in Phoenix. There's one in Phoenix next week, December 12th at 7 PM. Um, gosh, I forget the name of the venue right now, but if you would like to know more about it, find me on Twitter at Hannah Posh, that's P-A-A-S-C-H. And um, I'll, I'll be happy to give you the details to that. Um, and we're, we're looking to host uh, quite a few of these in different cities around the country. So um, we're talking about Nashville, Atlanta. Um, if that's something that, that you're interested in having in your own town, whether that's you know having people come and speak about it, whether it's just hosting an open mic, where people can get up and share or anonymous stories, anonymous submissions can be read aloud. Um, all of those are options and all of those are things that, um, we are looking to facilitate. So holler at us. Great. Yeah. Yeah. We're around. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Emily, we're probably probably with fighting. Uh, we're probably fighting with someone that, you know, on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) That's where you'll find us. (laughs) Great. Yeah. (laughs) Emily and Hannah, thanks so much for for coming on and and talking about this. Yeah, thank you for having us. For real. Happy to do it. We love (laughs) Exvangelical. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah.